Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. My name is Kate Hudson-Hall and this is a platform for people to share relatable and uplifting and inspiring conversations based on eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia and talking about their victories and their challenges. And these are real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered an eating disorder. And episodes will include their personal stories of where they are now and their difficult journeys and their steps taken into recovering. And we'll also be talking to professionals who work with people with eating disorders. Now, this is very exciting. Our guest today is Dr. Rachel Evans. Now, Rachel is a a chartered psychologist who specializes in eating disorders recovery. Her career choice was inspired by her own struggle with an eating disorder and her experience of her recovery. She is a private eating disorders recovery therapist and she's based in the UK, but she works online also. And one of her most popular programs is called Nourish which is an empowering combination of talking therapy, so coaching, and rapid transformational therapy and holistic support. And she's joined us today to tell us about her own journey with her eating disorder and how she helps others overcome their struggles with their eating disorder. So let me welcome Rachel. Hi. So lovely to meet you, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was such a nice introduction. It's fabulous that you could make it here today. So now where to begin? We've got a lot to discuss. Tell me about your eating disorder and why you think that that developed and the kind of stages that it went through. Yeah, so it ended with bulimia, um, but it actually started as I think many people's eating disorder does as a diet. And when I really noticed it was taking hold was during my master's in health psychology. So I think before then, I'd always been a bit conscious um, sort of about my weight or my body shape. And I'd done various diets and kind of like, um, it's kind of sad there's this mentality now, but like, oh, I'm going to lose weight for that event. Yeah. And then when the event was over, I would go back to sort of eating normally, inverted commas. But then this diet, I kind of, I didn't have that event. Um, ah, I've just thought of something interesting that I've never thought about before. I was going to say I didn't have that event to work towards, but it was almost like because I wanted to go into health promotion, I suppose that was my event in a way when I got this job that I thought I wanted to help other people be healthy I suppose that was my end goal but that end goal never came so I just carried on and on and on the diet so I was feeling like I have to 
be living what I'm preaching in a way. So if I want to tell people how to eat healthy, I have to follow all the rec- government recommendations. But it's almost like, I don't know if uh, your clients ever say this to you, but it's like, no sugar is better than low sugar. Do you know, like your mind just kind of twists all these rules until you have so many rules that there's practically nothing um, that you can And it's taking everything to kind of an extreme as well, even though you kind of distorted as well, but it's taking it to that extreme. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't really notice it was happening because I was so in it. And I thought what I was doing was really good and um, with the exercise as well. Um, so I did competitive lifesaving um, since I was like 12 years old all the way through university. And I was training for like hours a day and then I stopped doing that. So I was like, oh, now I have to um, sort of exercise to compensate. And I think with an eating disorder as well, it's never just one thing. And there's just a comment that my dad made that I think really just stuck in my head like a little splinter or something because he once said, oh, when you stop doing all this training, you can't eat as much. And it's like, not, I'm not trying to blame him and say it's only this one thing, but that one comment with everything else that was going on, because um, I think why it turned into an eating disorder as well is I got my, a lot of my self-worth from doing life-saving. I was like international level like on the England team like it is a real sport everyone google it if you don't know what it is it's really so I don't really understand what it is so a life-saving course what Mm -hmm. like a lifesaver what is it yeah so some of it is swimming um and then the other parts are they set up a little scenario for you in the pool and people pretend like they're drowning or they've got a cut and you have to go in in your team and save everyone oh I see so that when when you know if you're a lifeguard yeah um and then there's different sort of swimming races um that we do with like generic flippers on and stuff and then they've got this other um it's called a mannequin but essentially it looks like half a body um it's like bright orange and they fill it with water and then you have to swim around with that and it's like who can swim the fastest Um, with that so it's like of the sporty side of training but like I say I think as well all my friends were there it was making me feel good about myself that I was good at this thing um and then I think as well I also got a lot of my self-worth and I can't think what the word is but almost just having the routine of going to uni and like oh here do this you'll get a good grade people will be happy that you've got a good grade that's kind of how my brain works and then I think during my master's I was really scared about going out into the real world because I didn't really have a plan it's like I want to work in health psychology but I don't know what jobs there are I don't know how to get there but I'm putting all this huge pressure on myself and I've lost a lot of my friends because they've gone away, um, you know, moved, just moved away since uni and my school friends aren't here. And so I think it was like a lot more time that then I just put into researching about food and having these rules, which I guess gave me the structure and feeling safe. So um, it started that for like a year and then I got a job um, abroad. Also another <laughs> trigger, which we won't go uh, so much into, but um, I thought I was dating a guy. He didn't think we were dating. He treated me really badly. And I thought, now I want to get really fit and look really toned to make him jealous, which is not a good approach because there was so much more to me that he was missing out on. And I think maybe we actually just weren't a good fit to go out together. But that like, I guess was another knock to my self-esteem, like feeling not good enough because he didn't treat me um very well and then it just added more fuel to the fire of my diet rules and trying to get this dream 
Instagram body or whatever it was going to be. Um, so it's putting that pressure on yourself. But it's interesting what you just said. I would put on this pressure on myself in order to keep myself safe. That's interesting, isn't it? So it's your way of keeping yourself safe by putting that pressure on yourself. Yeah, I'm quite a perfectionist. And I've realized actually about myself even today, mm. like, and it's funny because this is something I work with my clients on about self-praise as the most important kind of praise. But actually, I feel like I do need quite a lot of reassurance even now. Like I like having a business coach to help me and say like, oh, look, this has gone well. Like somehow I just need that um, reassure, <laughs> reassurance, which yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely something I'm going to do a bit more personal development. Um, but I think it's quite common with people with eating disorders and that perfectionism, isn't it? Yeah, I think trying so. Be, when you trying to be perfect and putting that pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing that I try and help clients with as well. Like because the person has all these wonderful skills and qualities, but you've almost kind of directed them in the wrong way that you're sabotaging yourself and really hurting yourself. Whereas if you just directed them a little bit differently, then you could be like flourishing yeah. in your life. And yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's sort of step having, you know, stepping back and then recognizing that, isn't it? thinking oh okay yeah that kind of makes sense if I you know if I focus my thinking and do, did this differently then I could take myself you know further forward positively rather than <laughs> yeah and I think for me definitely in this first phase of my eating disorder like no one could tell me what I was doing was maybe like too much or Rachel were trying to be too healthy but I almost I just wasn't hearing it because I was like putting all my energy into doing it um and then I moved abroad I lived in Singapore for eight months which sounded like it was going to be amazing but with an eating disorder it is not amazing because say if you go and meet new people usually you're probably going to go for like brunch or something or to a party and that's food and alcohol which was quite scary for me and I just was quite isolated. Like the people I worked with were lovely, actually. Um, so that was 2014. Um, one of the people I worked with actually messaged me this morning saying she was thinking of me and like that I've come so far since I lived there, which was really lovely. Like they were such yeah. nice people, but they had their own life. They didn't have like every evening or weekend to like spend time with me. So I think I was quite lonely in that as well. And my work, like, it sounded really good on paper, but then in practice, it wasn't that great and I didn't really enjoy it. So moving to any big city, if you don't really know many people, it can be so lonely. I remember when I was 16 and I had to move and live in London on my own. It was like, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> and then eventually, you know, I did make some friends, but it took, you know, six plus months. But I didn't know anyone. And I just that just intense, lonely feelings. And then it's like, oh, how can we block feelings? Well, obviously you don't ra logically or rationally think about this, but I think what was going on is like, well, let me control my food. Let me walk around for hours and hours and hours at the weekend so I don't have to be on my own doing nothing. Um, and I think as well, because of the eating disorder, it really affected my emotions a lot. So I think I felt that loneliness even more or like when I was in work meetings and it wasn't going very well then I would literally just start crying because I couldn't control my emotions anymore which yeah. I think with the eating disorder you think it's something wrong with you but like it isn't it isn't because that's probably related to the physiological things that were going on because I wasn't feeding myself yeah 
don't think we think about that so anyway I ended up coming home early because I wasn't happy there and then when I came home I had lost some weight from the eating disorder but I didn't really sort of fit a classification box so I did go to the NHS but I went for help because my hair was falling out or my periods had stopped I didn't go and say I think I've got an eating disorder because I didn't think I did I just thought my dad was getting on at me and saying you're going to end up in hospital if you don't eat more um and (laughs) I didn't really believe him um but then in the end I did go to a private therapist um more so at the time because I was like I just want to get my dad off my back so I was like 25 but I was living at home because I didn't really know what job to do um when I came back and then my parents had an opening um as a receptionist and they were like our receptionist is gone can you just work for us for a bit so I sort of did that and I didn't end up looking for another job because that's just so miserable like how I hope this isn't triggering for people but it's like do you know when your life is like just wake up to exercise to go to work not really enjoy it come home think about how can I not eat like it just yeah it's just I just really miserable um so I started seeing a therapist she did really help me um but she wasn't a specialist in eating disorders so she helped me challenge food rules and I think stuff was shifting and loosening up a bit but then I started binge eating which was really scary and terrifying at the time. And I literally felt like I wasn't in control because people, it, it happened at nighttime um, and people would say like, well, what well, I say people, I didn't really tell many people, my parents who knew it was happening or the therapist <laughs> when I say people, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they would be like, oh, well, why don't you try and do some yoga or go back to sleep? And I just literally felt like I couldn't do that. Like something was taking over my body. Yeah. No, it is. That's what it's like. It's as if something has taken over your body and you just can't control what you're doing. Yeah. And especially to have come from like being so, well, what I thought was really good at restricting to then actually being out of control, but then I would restrict in the day still, which would lead to probably more binging at night. But I don't think the therapist knew that in terms of the physiology or specific things about why the eating disorder might be sort of maintained or changing um I stopped seeing her um because she said something that I didn't like which is not a good reason to stop seeing your therapist (laughs) um but (laughs) I just didn't go back um but she did help me um sort of get a path for life I think she realized this was a precipitating factor is it like this is something that is underlying this problem so we'll help her with that so I did um sort of apply for a PhD when I was working with her and get on the PhD however when I started the PhD within the first week I realized I don't like this um so that was probably like six months um between applying and getting on it and in that time I was a lot more flexible about what I was eating I'd introduced more foods I still had food rules and different things but I was eating more um being more flexible like able to eat out and stuff so things had shifted quite a lot so what do you think had shifted what specifically I think maybe somehow in my brain like a penny had dropped and I realized like what I'm doing is not working anymore because of the binging I ended up putting on weight and feeling awful and then I don't know at that year from the January I'd like tried every different diet because I just kept thinking like a magic diet is going to fix everything so I was like trying the whole 30 or I was trying like paleo diet and stuff which was really silly at the time because I actually really liked dairy 
and then I would keep cheating in inverted commas and then feel guilty about it um I think I just realized they're not working I think I just needed the end oh that was actually as well I've realized I had no energy before I don't know how I was functioning because actually when I was binging in the night then I was waking up to exercise had so much more energy to actually do it um so I think that just clicked to me I don't really know actually just I just sort of started changing a bit but then um the binging became less because I was eating more so I didn't really need it for the physiological levels um balanced now yeah but it was still there a bit and in that time as well I started making myself sick if I didn't if I ate something I didn't want to have eaten because it didn't fit in the rules or whatever it was um then I would make myself sick yeah, which seemed like a good idea at the time. But as we both know, you've probably covered before, it's really bad for your body. It's really bad for your teeth. It's just not a good uh, solution. Mm. Yeah. And then when I started my PhD, I was living in a flat um, with people. And sometimes there were times that I would take their food because I wouldn't have bought it for myself, but I would really want it. So I was still having these sort of cravings and food rules and things, but it was a lot better than what it was before so I thought ah, oh, I'm okay and I started like my health food blog which has now been deleted um but that was all like oh here's a granola with no sugar here's a granola with no oil it always had to be like something missing now I'm very much about eating balanced right meals um and then yeah I would sometimes binge and make myself sick mainly on certain types of food that I just wouldn't let myself eat normally right and then I would go home at the weekend and then go back to uni on like a Sunday night, but I didn't like going back. And it's like when I got back to make myself calm down, I would like exercise because it felt kind of calming or, but then I would start like binging because that was calming. Like I'd never connected actually the binging now can help me with how I'm feeling um and then when I moved in by myself in my second year then it got really bad Mm. sort of for that reason for like coping for avoidance of going into uni when I didn't like going into uni um yeah and it just got really out of control and it got to be from just from the evenings to be like uh earlier in the day and earlier in the day and earlier in the day and multiple times a day and really just took on a life of its own until again it was like consuming all my thoughts yeah yeah, yeah. and I just was like I cannot carry on with this so I'm gonna get help um so that was kind of the end well not the end obviously because I was a re- wanting to be in recovery and recovering part but that was like the decision sorry Rachel why do you think you made that decision at that particular point I think I made it because it's so draining to have bulimia and be making yourself sick that much. Like I was just totally drained. Couldn't think about other things. Like if I did go into uni, I would be thinking, what can I buy on the way home? And sometimes I would be scared to go home because I wanted to buy stuff so much. I can almost almost feel it now if I'm talking about it. Like I would want to go to the supermarket so much, but also I wouldn't want to and didn't want to let myself. And I just felt so stuck and torn Right. Literally right. every day. And I guess the, I would say icing on the cake. I don't know if that's the right uh, metaphor or analogy, but like I realized this was going on and I was like, okay, I really need to do something about it, but I don't know what to do. Like I'd searched 
for therapists and stuff, but like, I didn't actually believe that anyone could help me. Like I would see, you know, testimonials and things, but I would kind of think, oh, that's okay for them, but it's not going to work for me. Cause I actually think I didn't want to put any effort in. Right, I right. just wanted someone to magically do everything for me and I would pop out and everything would be okay. But, but that's, I didn't... that's interesting, isn't it? Because other people will be feeling like that, thinking like that, maybe. That there isn't a, a magic a magic wand. You have to, you know, you do have to make that decision and, and make the effort and make those changes yourself. Yeah. I was going to say it would be nice if there was a magic wand, which it would in some ways, but also I think you learn so much about yourself and about everything in general going through recovery that actually it's like a positive thing in the end. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It may not feel like it as you go through it, but you will be, yeah, like you say, learning so much about all of your different thoughts and your feelings and connections and behaviours and patterns that, you know, you can change so much by becoming aware of those because for bulimia and anorexia you just kind of go into a trance and a lot of it is unconscious isn't it yeah I think as well if you didn't go through that recovery well it depends how hypothetically the person's being fixed but it's like if that just went away overnight there's still loads of other issues this is why I think recovery is I was talking to my business coach the other day. I hate it when people say recovery is hard because I think that's putting it in the idea in your head that it's going to be really difficult and traumatic and awful, which I don't think is a nice picture to paint and could make you feel worse. But I think it is complicated in a way in that, because I was going to say, if you were magically fixed in inverted commas, but then your family, probably you would start acting differently around them and they wouldn't know why that was happening do you know so it's like you've got the physiology side of it the beliefs the subconscious beliefs how people are reacting to you food it's just like lots of different levels to try and recover on and work around which is possible but I was going to say the icing on the cake or the snap moment for me was when I realized all this was happening and I was like right I'm just going to take the day off I'm not going to pressure myself to go into uni because that's making me feel worse I'm going to take the day off and I'm going to go Christmas shopping So I wanted to go on the train. I was in Sheffield. I wanted to go to Manchester. Um, And then I got to, I was like feeling better. I was being compassionate to myself. I got to the train station. I went to Starbucks and I bought this drink and I bought a food that I wouldn't usually let myself have. Right. um, Which then, it's like trigger warning, ended in me trying to make myself sick on the train because I'd had that. And just feeling awful the whole time. And I just thought, ah, I can't even have one nice day out that was meant to be a positive thing without the bulimia ruining this. And that was, and that Christmas as well. Like I made the situation on Christmas day so I could be alone in a house and make myself sick. And I thought, I do not want every situation to be taken over by this. Cause a few months earlier as well, it had like ruined my holiday in that I was always thinking, Oh, when's the time that I can eat and make myself sick when no one will be here. And I just thought, I don't want to live my life like that. Yeah. And that's just all that you, you know, you, that you think about. Yeah, I think because um, we just had a chat before, didn't we? And I was I was saying, like, I think if it hadn't got to that level, maybe I wouldn't have got help because I would have thought, oh, I'm managing this. It's, it's fine. It's nothing. Yeah. Um, but then I also do say to people, like, if you hear my story and think, oh, that sounds bad for her, but I'm not that bad. It's still obviously impacting your life. Your life could be so much better if you didn't have at whatever level. Yeah. it is um, so it's still worth point. yeah yeah 
I mean, that's so important for people to hear because you said before that the eating disorder hadn't got so intense. So you managed to be able to control it to an extent. And then when it became more, much more intense and got so bad, that was when you actually had to get, take a step back and say, well, hang on a minute. I can't live my life like this anymore. This is just too engulfing. So if you hadn't have got to that point, you may have just continued along that, that negative sort of level of not actually taking those steps into onto the recovery path. Yeah, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I think I knew something wasn't okay. I was trying to do various like juice cleansers and stuff to like, do you know when they promise you, oh, this will reset your relationship with food and you'll stop craving sugar. And I was like, okay, great. I need to stop craving sugar. And the silly thing is like, I already had done a master's in health behavior change. I was doing my PhD, which was looking at eating behavior. I was looking at self-control habits, past behavior factors that can influence your behavior. So I knew, part of me knew that is not going to work. But then the other part of me was like, oh, please, they've marketed it like this is going to work. <laughs> I really want it to work. Um, like I say, because I didn't want to look at all the other um, things that I knew might. So I went to a charity and they said, we can't help you go to the NHS. Um, so I went to the NHS for a few sessions and I wasn't a very receptive client. <laughs> I didn't really want them to weigh me in the in the first place, but they said, well, we've got to. So I did. Um, and then again, I still wanted them to just tell me what to do which actually I was reflecting on it this morning even if they'd been like look here is the perfect diet plan this is going to fix everything I don't think I could have stuck to it like I don't think I could have done so I had a session like a preliminary session with the psychologist a preliminary session with a dietitian and then I was meant to have a session with both of them but the dietitian wasn't there and I was like so angry and I just made up this whole story in my head like they don't think that um I'm important <laughs> Like, why is she not here? Which there's 101 reasons, probably even a thousand reasons why she might not have been there on the day. But I just took it really personally. Um, and it did really help. Like we did an activity that I usually do at the beginning with my clients. That I learned through my training now, but it really helped me see the bulimia. One of its big purposes was avoidance. It's like, if I'm being sick, then I've got no energy to do anything else. I don't have to go and do that thing that I don't want to. Right. So I think once I knew that, then I could apply everything that I know about habits and look at it like a habit, right? which I think is a really great start and really good. But also there's so many more sort of things that I do with clients now to help um, them change beliefs and things. But for me, it's like, that's just what I needed from that. And also in a way, I'm kind of, again, glad what happened happened. Um, and I got annoyed and decided not to go back to them because I think it almost gave me this fire of like, I've got to recover now. I'm doing this. Right. Um, almost like I'll show you, even though. So what did you do then? <laughs> um, I started thinking about it like a habit. So I thought, well, the trigger is wanting to go to uni or being stressed. The reward is eating food that maybe I wouldn't usually let myself eat. Or the reward is the feeling. Because for me as well, the bulimia, it started off being about, I don't want to eat. I've eaten that food, so I'll make myself sick. But it actually ended up, I was just eating. It sounds really crude. I'm really sorry. But so I could throw it up. It was actually the being sick. What did that give you? Um, Just that feeling of like 
release I guess yeah or like a release being good at something <laughs> um I don't it's when you're doing it I don't want, want to be selling being sick to people because <laughs> I think do you know sometimes when you hear people talking about it it's almost that relief feeling or a positive feeling because I think you get endorphins in your brain um from being sick so I think when I realized that I could almost put like you say take that step back put my logical head on and be like okay well what reward can we have instead and I think a bit of it was just determination um to not do it anymore so it would be like if I went to the supermarket and put loads of stuff in my basket to have a binge I would literally just go and put it back and sometimes I would be crying and my whole body would be like hurting and angry because I was putting it back. But it was just like, no, I'm doing this. And what did you replace that relief with then when you put all that food back? What did you do for you instead? I think I just got better at being uncomfortable so and you, being okay with being uncomfortable. Do you have any physical, any physical ways that you sort of found other ways to be able to give yourself that relief? give yourself something yeah I don't think I really got the relief um but it's really interesting because I tried stuff before that would say like oh if you want to binge go for a walk if you want to binge read a book and it never worked but when I decided myself oh maybe if I like have lunch and then I'm feeling a bit like wobbly about this uh, situation then I'll read a book and just give myself an hour to read a book I won't put pressure on myself to go back to uni I'll just read yeah. a book. Right. Then it worked. But if someone just told me to do that, it wouldn't have worked. It was because I decided yeah. myself. Um, so yeah, I read a book, probably going for a walk. And doing um, what feels right for you at that particular moment. Yeah, I would say the other thing and is I actually decided then that... And tuning I, in and listening to what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what would work for you at that particular point, isn't it? Yeah, I think what helped me with that was like journaling... Um, yeah. prompts so not just like freestyle stuff I've never really been into that but just like what's made me happy today what's one thing I love about myself there's another one that I use with clients as well and I like my body can and sort of focusing on those things because I realized like oh I really like being out in nature I really like talking to people I like going for a coffee and I think it just clicked like the PhD isn't giving me those things it's quite isolating like yeah there's people around but they're not doing your topic you kind of can't have that in-depth discussion about it with someone you can with your supervisor but sometimes your supervisor's well most of the time your supervisor's busy so again I think I was quite isolated then as well so I decided I want to work with clients I want to help people recover from eating disorders but for me in order to do that I need to be recovered so I think that gave me extra drive to like if I felt like a really big urge to actually I've remembered uh, what I do I always say I just played Candy Crush like hours and hours and hours of Candy Crush because it's like if I'm playing Candy Crush I'm distracted I can feel awful but I'll just ignore it and I'll just sit on the sofa and it's safe to sit on the sofa Um, and then I think I just tried to wean myself off Candy Crush and almost like do little bits of work rather than setting myself a big like mammoth task so (laughs) can you crush everyone (laughs) (laughs) absolutely there's the answer the key can be crush (laughs) so what advice would you give somebody with with an eating disorder with bulimia I think just what I really try and help clients with is to know that it's understandable what you're going through 
because I think for me I felt almost like and words I hear from clients too like I felt like I was going crazy or I felt like I was broken that's not the case but like you obviously haven't had years of training in eating disorders like you don't know what a therapist could know about why the things that you're experiencing are going on in terms of like we already talked about a little bit before like the physiology side of things like you're you know how you handle emotions or you know, what beliefs even did you have from childhood that are like affecting you now so I think just knowing that it's understandable is really helpful and a lot of my clients say as well like just understanding why it actually helps release a lot of the shame around an eating disorder because I think the shame is mm. what keep, keeps people stuck and not wanting to reach out so I think I think it's different for different people. Like most of my clients want to get that understanding. I don't think you have to have it to recover, but the way my brain works, it's nice to understand a little bit about it. Yes, absolutely. And understand how how that specific person is, you know, the reasons why they're reaching out for food when, you know, they know where it's going to end up. You know, behind every behavior, there's a, there's reasons why people do something. There's positive intentions, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Secondary gains there of why people are behaving in that certain way. Yeah, because I think often in time as well, like once you've probably gone through that initial stage of denial and sort of not knowing what to do, I think then you've probably read some books, you've listened to some podcasts. It's like, you know what to do but you can't do it. But it's because often it's really hard to help yourself see that deeper level, isn't it? Like um, one of my mentors once said, like, you can't try and trick your own mind with your mind or something. Like sometimes it's hard for your you to figure what's going on for yourself because you're hiding it from yourself. Um, yeah. 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 I think the other thing that I would say is I believe that recovery is possible for everyone, like no matter how long you've had it or what you're experiencing. Because um, I do get quite a lot of people message me to say like, I've had this for 17 years. Do you think I can recover? And I think if you want to recover, then you can recover. Maybe if someone has like CPTSD as well, it might be a bit more difficult for you, but it's you can still do it if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're you're the result or we are the result. Recovered. Yay. <laughs> I know. That's fantastic. We love it. We love it. So Rachel, so what are you doing now? So you have um you have your company nourish. And so what does that involve and and how could people find you? Yeah, so um yeah, my program is called Nourish for Bulimia Recovery. So it's three months. And I guess how I try to be a little bit different because I'm in private practice is like so the first session is three hours long that we can get like all the history and background um, and really sort of get going from day one because I don't want people to feel like um, do you know I've been in therapy for six weeks and we've still not you know got anywhere which obviously you have but sometimes I want my clients to feel like they're getting the results from day one with like lots of different strategies and with that we try and look at like the present what tools do you need to help you now so probably (laughs) playing candy crush Um, but no lots of things about managing emotions or like how to reduce cravings and things um obviously like we talked about a lot today looking in the past like how did you make the beliefs that are sort of running your behaviors now how can we change those beliefs but then also like looking at the future and helping them paint the picture for what they want recovery to look like so it feels more motivating to go towards that and um like yeah as you know Kate like a do you more like sort of talking therapy but also NLP hypnotherapy EFT like a whole load of different modalities um 
to sort of help people move move through that yeah I love it so how can people find you uh, my Instagram is rachel.evans.phd and then my website is eating disorder therapist really easy <laughs> okay good so we'll we'll post those below so people can can find you gosh well Rachel thank you so much for sharing your story and and uh, you know and explaining how you felt recovering and why you feel that you recovered and and it's fantastic the way you are now thank you recovered (laughs) that's amazing well thank you so much for joining us it'll be very helpful to for people to to hear your journey and to learn from your journey so thank you very much for coming on thank you so that's all for today's episode of bulimia sucks And so thanks for listening and joining us today and come and listen to our next episode of Bulimia Sucks and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes so you never miss an episode. Plus, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book Bulimia Sucks, which is on Amazon to learn many different techniques to help you to begin to break those painful bulimic behaviors. And also soon... Um, I'm releasing a Bulimia Sucks personal food journal to help support people in their recovery journey. And also my book is uh, Bulimia Sucks is also now live as an audio book on Amazon and Audible and iTunes. So check that out. So thank you for listening and come and make sure that you come and join us on our Facebook group and say hi if you haven't already done so because it's great to connect with like-minded people and chat about ups and downs and difficulties that we may have. So thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.